Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You went three years, 2018 to 2021, without releasing any new music. And you've spoken in part about how this new record looks at struggles with identity to a certain extent. How do you feel your identity and your understanding of your own identity changed in those three years? Well, I, I think first off, we just, during the three years, we decided that we wanted to make a live band record. Um, our identity on the first record was, well, I don't know. We were searching for it. We hadn't really found it even through the process. You know, we hadn't had a drummer on the first record. And when Sterling joined after the making of the first record and, you know, we had played I don't know, hundred something shows on the first campaign. It felt like the identity of the band shifted into uh, a real band at that time. You know, you you have a drummer, and then it all all of a sudden it feels like a group of people. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, I would echo exactly what Matt said. I think on the first record, it almost felt like we were figuring out what it is we were. Like we weren't like, oh, is this a band thing? Is this like more of a studio thing and then after playing live non-stop for two years straight we were like oh yeah we're a band we like to like play shows next album should probably reflect that how did you go about reflecting that and the like the recording process of it then how did the idea of making it a band record influence that i think it influenced it a lot especially the, the phase of figuring out the songs just having sterling around just having a drummer around makes it a lot easier to figure out <laughs> what it should sound like. And I, and I think we just committed to, and honestly, you know, like every record, I think there's false starts. You think you're starting a record, but you're not. And then you start it again. And then you kind of figure out as you go, start going down the checklist of things that aren't working or the things that are exciting you. And I think we just got excited by the energy that the four of us can create in a room. And so we kind of stuck with that. And once we figured that out, 
we kept doubling down on that, I think, right? Yeah, there was a, there was that time we had a few demos kicking around. Matt had a few song ideas and him and I got together and fleshed out a few ideas. When we got into a room to kind of, we, we decided to get in a room to kind of learn them together as a band and play them as if we were rehearsing for a show before we got in the studio. And that was something we never did on the first record. So that was really an exciting moment. I remember us playing like Dream Never Dies all together and being like, this feels awesome. Yeah. So then you yeah. kind of feel more confident in the song going into the studio. You meant the idea of, you know, the various false starts that you have to go through where you think that you're beginning a record. What was the first song that ended up on this record that stuck and that kind of dug its claws in and you realized that that was actually the beginning? That was the true start. I think Expectations was the first song mm-hmm. that, that we all got together. It was kind of a, it was in demo form and we all met up and jammed on it and it felt like there was a spirit and Sam came up with that big, you know, post hook and it just started to feel like, oh, wow, there's an energy here. There's, there's an emotion. And I, th- I yeah, I think that was really like the start of it. Yeah. That's true. I, I mean, mean, dream never dies. I, I think. Yeah. I don't even think that I ever heard the expectations original demo because I was, I was like doing something. I think I was like working on some project and I couldn't be there that day. Yeah. And like, so by the time I got to hang out with you guys, it was cooking and everyone was like really excited. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. Let me do something now. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes that happens. (laughs) But you said it was slow at first. I never heard that. It was really slow at first, extremely slow. Well, you know (laughs) me, (laughs) you know where my tempos are. The demos are always about 35 BPM too slow. (laughs) (laughs) But then when, yeah, I think we, we then, we kind of figured out, Oh, maybe this should be like a Bruce thing, you know, more of a Brucey beat. It's an interesting one too, because I mean, if you look at it thematically in terms of it touches upon nostalgia, it touches upon, I mean, literally expectations and the side, the ideas that you have and ambition, which are essentially themes that run throughout the whole record. Were they already things that you were writing about or was that the song that sort of, you know, kicked off these various tunnels of thought? I think that was the first song I realized that, um, that was, that was kind of what this record was going to be about. It was the first, I mean, I was definitely thinking about it, but, um, you know, we came off the first campaign. I think I had definitely the expectations for me and the band and the group around us that we put, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves for, you know, whatever, for the making the records or touring. And I just felt like in some ways I had let the guys down in, in some ways because it was the, the first record were, were my songs and and uh, maybe we didn't do them just i don't know but i just got in my head i really did and i was feeling very confused about where to start and so i remember just being excited that everyone was stoked to get back in the room and jam and we were like oh yeah this is this is what we need to do and i think i maybe my our confidence was a little shot because remember sam we went into the studio to start working on honest or and another song and it just didn't go so yeah that's true so i think we had a a false start like you said yeah yeah. and so i think maybe that was kind of oh is this you know where are we gonna where are we gonna take this Mm -hmm. but you didn't let us down (laughs) thank you You shouldn't just just putting that out there you you shouldn't say you shouldn't feel that way 
Uh, no, I, no, you, I didn't. Yeah, no, you no didn't. I know I didn't. I, I know I didn't now because now it's like a real, you know, it's a real yeah. team. <laughs> Did you learn anything from that initial uh, experience where it didn't quite click that then carried into the making of the rest of the record? What do you think, Sam? I mean, you always um, learn something when you get in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, I... I don't know that I felt the same way that you did that, uh, that like it not confident in it. I just felt like we, we basically went in with a friend of ours. We had an idea to, to, to have him produce a, a song for us. And in hindsight, it was kind of an insane idea because <laughs> he, he's an amazing producer in his own right, but he doesn't produce like other people. He does his own stuff. So we went in with him and it was kind of like, well, this isn't really working, but it's nobody's fault, you know? So I didn't, I didn't really think like, oh, we failed or this was a false start. I just thought, well, that was just like a wacky idea that didn't really work out. When we actually went in with Eve, who is, you know, the guy who produced pretty much most of the album with us, it really felt, I felt really confident actually, because mm -hmm. we had, after that, we had, after we had the kind of, no go session. We went into a rehearsal room. We had a bunch of new songs. We were practicing. I felt like more like, oh yeah, we're kind of just a band who are ready to make a record. So when we went in there, uh, you know, when we when we did that that one song that didn't really work out, that was kind of like the only song kicking around. It's oh yeah, it's so true. And then yeah. like I said this a, f a few times, but like after we got off the road in 2018, I mean, I remember being like, oh wow. But we're not touring again for we got oh okay we got to make a record <laughs> so yeah. i started freaking out <laughs> i definitely had the freak out moment like the first record definitely you definitely do have 10 years to make the first record and you definitely have a year to make the second record uh didn't work out that way for us but um it felt yeah. like it felt, <laughs> felt like that for a bit <laughs> yeah it's interesting because you open this i mean you have the, the little intro that kind of eases us into it but you essentially open this album with carried away yeah but the first single you released was dream never dies how would you compare those two songs as introductions to this record and introductions to the world and the sound of it and the and what you're looking at with it carried away was very close to not being the opener there was kind of like a debate on what was going to open the, the album and Matt and I were like kind of it, it has to be carried away it has to be carried away and then there was a moment when we were like this is really terrible as an opener. Why would we open our album with this? <laughs> yep. And then we were like, okay, but we've already kind of committed to the rest of the track listing. So then we made this kind of like ambient intro as kind of like a, we need, you need to ease into this. We can't just like kick it off with this, with this in your face moment. I don't know. We were just sort of like, it didn't feel like us. Yeah. So we made the kind of intro after the fact and that, and that, that kind of then it, all of a sudden it just seemed to work so much better for us yeah and dream we always knew had to be near the top of the album definitely because that was kind of the first expectations was the first song that like was finished in a way but dream felt like the first song that we wrote that kind of defined the identity of the record in some way i think in a lot of ways yeah and i i there was a long time where raincoats was going to start the album yeah and, of course yeah and kind of wrote that with that intention we got talked out of it and and then i and i do think at some point sam and i were both like i don't know maybe that's 
that's really ambitious to think that people are going to sit through that intro and love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get ahead of ourselves sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, Raincoats so, is kind of completely different tonally to anything else on the record, whereas Carried Away feels more like an introduction to the sounds that you're you're playing with overall. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think the lyric, something about that lyric, um, having that connection with the people closest to you. And, you know, I think Sam and I, interestingly enough, wrote that song probably like four or five days prior to America going on lockdown. And I think we didn't know that what was around the corner, but looking at the lyrics and and realizing that we were, you know, we were exploring the idea of making real connections. It felt felt like instead of these, you know, digital connections through our phone, through our phones. And I think that was kind of a coming together point for Sam and I too. And and for the rest of the band, it felt like a cohesion of, uh, you know, the, the group entering this new identity. And so I think in the end, once we got the intro, it felt like we felt really confident in that as the opener. And like everything on every record you ever make, if you could do it again, you would probably reproduce it again. Like we just always, yeah. that's how we are. It's just like, we're never happy. But It was really interesting what you were saying. I think it was a few questions, but we spoke about it where once you added the intro onto the record, it kind of made, it made it all make sense and carried away then functioned as the kind of introduction to it once you moved past that. Were there any other moments during the process when you, you changed a small thing or you added something slightly or just altered it where it suddenly allowed it to make sense in a way that felt a lot more conducive to the record as a whole? Well, yeah, I think Dream Never Dies was a really was a really interesting one because we had a demo that was slightly more in your face, slightly more like, I guess, the way Kevin Parker would approach that kind of song. And I think Sam and I were very interested in trying to get this oceanic wash of a live band and this emotion behind it. And it was just a few tweaks in the drums yeah. and the kind of the intention of which we were playing the song with that yeah. changed the entire identity, right? Even then, though, we were changing. I mean, we retracked the drums on that song like how many times? Seven, I think. Seven times? Yeah. yeah like we, we, we retracked the drums on dream never dies like a few days before it got mixed <laughs> we were like, yeah. tweaking that one endlessly when you say it was a two-year process you know making the album i mean how do you how does it actually manifest itself is that how many days a week are you in the studio what does that look like that two-year process in terms of working on it and creating this thing i mean it's so weird when you're working with a producer you're kind of beholden to their schedule which I think we've learned that now, but we worked on it when it's like, you know, blocks of time, some six weeks at a time, and then we'd go back, go away and re reapproach it. And I think one of the lessons in that, and we didn't learn this from the first record, but this band really likes to listen and critique and continue to work when we're not in the studio. It's just, we're obsessed about getting this record right. And so when we leave the studio, we listen and we, we we want to make tweaks and then the producer's not available so then we start making new demos you know it's a, it's a whole it's a whole kind of process basically there was a version of this album that was finished in january 2020 yeah wow. <laughs> yeah yeah so, <laughs> of, of so there you go so there you go and uh we 
you know, when the pandemic hit, we were like, well, maybe we could get this song's not that good. We could fit, we could, we could get a better song. Like Matt and I had some other song ideas that were brewing before the pandemic hit. And then once we were all in lockdown, we were like, well, what, you know, we might as well just like try and record these songs from lockdown, which was not necessarily the funnest way to make music. But, um, but you know, a couple of those songs ended up making the album and replacing other ones. So, um, well, it was I th- worth I, it in the end. Yeah. And I think we actually did learn a lot about that. It, it we were listening differently. I think we were creating slightly differently. And then by the time we got back in, I mean, we tried to do the remote recording, finishing the record remotely thing, and it didn't really work for us. We had to eventually just get in the room and do it. Um, and we had we also had to wait until it made sense and was safe enough. So we were kind of on a time line. Yeah, there was a good there was a good chunk of that whole year, like with everyone, where we weren't able to get together. So the record was kind of on hold. When we realized it wasn't a finished record, we were like, "Well, we need to finish it," but. We can't. <laughs> yeah. What were your initial emotions when you realized it wasn't a finished record? Excited to record some more, I think. Uh, yeah. Frustrated that we couldn't, though. Frustra- exactly. I remember yeah. being very frustrated that there was yeah. some things that we really wanted to fix. But I, I think ultimately, not I think, I know ultimately we made a better record. So it was worth it. In terms of the songs that did stick around from that January 2020 version that was finished, how much of the DNA is the same? How much of it is shared? And how much did they sort of develop and evolve into new things to fit with the songs that you added into the mix? I think like 75, 85%. I mean, it wasn't like we retracked the entire record. I mean, no, there were songs that were retracked completely. Yeah, there were. And I also think that maybe the overall kind of... I mean, not to get too tweaky, but definitely just like on the kind of master bus kind of like uh, overall sonic picture shit was much more kind of full on and aggressive in the January version. And we dialed it back a little bit. A lot bit, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I and I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. I think it's a kind of an in some ways we try to kind of underproduce in the end. It was way more about calling things back and getting to the core of what we were trying to accomplish than p- piling on. And I think I was actually, I was proud of us because we have a tendency to pile on. And I, and I think we, we actually did the opposite in the end and it made it, it made it better. It's still pretty layered, but it's layered. It's but, layered. Oh, but compared yeah. to what we, <laughs> compared to you what should, I mean, you should have heard it. To do, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of minimal. <laughs> yeah. It's almost minimal. <laughs> when you're building up all those layers, is there uh when you start, or when you start stripping them away, rather, what's this, how do you figure out what the sweet spot is? How do you know when to stop stripping back or how do you know when to stop building up? That's a, that's like the eternal question. <laughs> I think the thing that the, the, I, I mean, I'm trying to figure that out for myself, but I feel like what Matt and I have talked about and what we've realized is kind of, you can't, if, if you feel like something's missing, if you're listening to the thing and you feel like something's missing, or you're not feeling the power of it, or you're not feeling the emotion, the tendency is to pick up a guitar or a synth or whatever and just like try and make something to make it bigger or more emotional. And I think 
that's not necessarily the right approach it's usually it's something in what you're hearing that's not right or it's it could be a lyric that's not right or it could be just the tempo isn't right or the key and it's better to try and figure that stuff out first before just like well let's just keep adding stuff to it until it feels like something yeah Yeah. i mean a lot of times it's note choices or sound choice sonic choices but yeah sam's so right you, you can only react to what you're hearing you can't react to what's not there so if you're reacting to it and I, I mean, I think we talk about it all the time is just we say, does it have the feeling yet? And what's weird about that is that obviously something and this happens too. Sam might hear something and go, oh, my God, it's so the feeling. And I'll be like, "Ah, it's not the feeling. Yeah, I don't know what it. But, you, you know, you're kind of speaking this unspoken language that but you do you do kind of get to a place where everyone so, when it's right, it's very I can't remember many times where not everyone agrees. Like, I think when it's really right, kind of everyone goes, oh, this is really right. right? Yeah, there haven't been very many, like, standoffs where no. one person's like, well, I love this. And the other person's like, well, I love this. Right. It's like, no. Um, also, it's strange because it applies to mixes even, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you, yeah. you might have a song and then you, you go and get it mixed and you listen to the mix back and you're like, well, this just doesn't hit me. This is, I'm not feeling it now. And then you listen to your like pre-mix and you're like, well, this has it. So what's different, you know? Right. And it's like, it's really strange. Music is weird. It's very weird. And there's a process. <laughs> it's like, you have to get it mixed. Well, who says you have to get it mixed? You know, maybe, yeah, no. maybe it's already mixed. Sounds good yeah, exactly. to me, you know? So one of the other things I love about this record is, I mean, you can have these two central themes or not two central themes, but two of the themes in it where on the one hand, you look at how you used to view the future in the past and your expectations of it and what you wanted to achieve and your goals and your desires from the past. And on the other hand, you're looking back on the past with certain nostalgia points. What period in your life did you feel like you were pulling from most with this album? And what period in your life did you feel like you were tapping into most when you were creating it? I mean, it's adolescence really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's the realization that I'm in my thirties now. And, you know, you, 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 you think about things a lot differently when you're in your thirties. And so you look back and you yearn for, you know, your adolescence. And so there is a lot of moments of that on this record. I mean, I say when I was 16, you know, those are the coming of age moments in, in everyone's life, I think, or you think that's the coming of age, but really when you're in your thirties, you start really understanding and you start asking yourself the bigger questions, I think. And then when you're in your forties, you look back again and you think, Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, was doing I can't my wait for my forties. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've got a good feeling about my forties. <laughs> I think you're going to be a silver fox. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm, I'm so pumped. <laughs> um, it's funny. Cause I also think that that when Matt was really writing in from that place, lyrically, and with the songs and the melodies, I was like, it. I think it struck a chord with me in the way that I was hearing the sonics as well. You know, I think that's why we were pulling from a lot of kind of 90s music, because it was making us feel like that's what we want You know, that's the place where you're writing from was literally like the late 90s. hundred percent. And then it's like, oh, well, we start referencing things like the Verve and like... You know, I know it was just uh, it all kind of makes sense to me now looking back on it. It's interesting, right? Because you don't think about that making sense. 
You don't think about why you're listening to those things and then, yeah, now it does make sense. I mean, I guess one of the things with that too is that there is this idea that you always kind of look back to the music of your adolescence and you never get past that because you have that attachment to it as a result of it being you discovering it for the first time and kind of those emotions are so wrapped up within the music itself it kind of distorts your impression of so it. annoying oh, totally <laughs> i yeah i struggle with that i mean matt you're good at uh, he matt's across every new artist ever and like, <laughs> listens to everything and like is really into loads of stuff and he'll always send me stuff and i'll be like I don't know that I can like anything <laughs> new now. I think I, I'm You've already gotten, so set in my ways. I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. You've gotten oh, so oh. much better about it. And yeah, in all honesty. <laughs> um, but it's also like, it's, it's interesting to me. And when I first met Sam, I, I would poo poo anything and everything. Um, and now I've, I think my, I think I've just opened up to, to, just being open to a lot more music. I mean, I used to be like that. And then I think when the band started in my head, I was like, everything, I, this is everything. I can't let anything in. This has to be the most pure, you know, you're in a band now. It's got to be super pure and you can't listen to anything outside the records that you grew up with. And then I changed my tone on that again. I mean, I used to, before the band, I was listening to everything and now I'm, I'm doing that again. Fulfilled. What was it that prompted you to change your mind and move away from that philosophy of kind of blocking everything out? The confidence that I don't need to sound like what's going on in the landscape in order to be comfortable that we're making records. That there is something to learn from all of that and there's some amazing things, but just because we like, you know, whoever it is doesn't mean that our records need to sound like that in order to fit in. You know, and I think the 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 bands and the artists that we look up to do that. They're just on their own path, and it's super. You know, you get to a point where I think the confidence just goes. No, this is what we do, and this is what we like to do, and this is how we write. But I love Little Sims, or I love you know whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, that's okay. You can love that stuff and not want to make that kind of record. I guess the thing too is that you can't really decide who you take influence from. Like you just start creating and it works its way in there organically. You don't have any control over it. That's actually a really good point because whatever it is, it's going to seep in no matter what. And, you know, yeah, you can, you can say all day long, well, we, we really want this record. To, it's going to sound like Mezzanine by Massive Attack, you know, meets fucking blonde on blonde but like (laughs) you'll end up with something completely different than that i mean look like when we first what sam and i do have this in it's it's really interesting we love getting obsessed with one record at a time sometimes and and some tracks we really agree on some tracks we don't and i remember the beginning of making this record sam texted me and said I just listened to Octung Baby and I think it's actually really good. And I never yeah. ever in my life thought I would hear that from Sam because he knew that I liked Octung Baby, but I wasn't going to continue. I wasn't going to continue to try to convince my band members that U2 was actually a good band. I was just going to let it be at like, U2 is U2 and I like U2, but I won't talk about it in front of my band. <laughs> and we got it. But it's like, yeah, we wanted to try to make our Octung baby. We didn't do that, you know, but it no. but it gave us something that inspired some kind it of... It lit a fire. It, it lit, lit a fire. fire. It that lit a fire. Fun. And it's fun when something lights a fire and when you kind of let it happen. 
and you know we're not going to make that record Acton Baby opens with Zoo Station doesn't yeah it, it, does, it yeah. does yeah one of the best albums it's come on great opener well that was the I, reason I, that we wanted that Rain, I wanted Raincoats oh first right <laughs> yeah that was a that was definitely a, a wild moment for me being like I think I like you too I never thought <laughs> well, I production wise on that one like the uh, whole industrial soundscape that they're doing with yeah Lenoir it's awesome Nino. yeah and uh, flood, right? And flood, yeah. Some flood, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's really cool. I might listen to it after this. Yeah, honestly, I'm pumped. <laughs> I'm gonna go listen to it on the way to rehearsal. <laughs> I mean, similar to what we were saying about walling yourself off from when you first started the band, is there a danger to that? The when you are recording an album, like, can it seep in if you're listening to something very close to when you're going in to record, or is that all kind of a fallacy and a myth? No, I, I actually do think that can get you in trouble. I, I think I know for me, I'm. If I hear something that I think sounds awesome in for 10 minutes, I have a tendency to go, hey, guys, I listened to this 1975 drum track. And it sounds awesome. And then all of a sudden, I want our drums to sound like the 1975, but only for 10 minutes. And then I'm like, oh, what are you doing? We don't need that. You know, <laughs> get the head. That's a bad idea. But so I, I think that there is a moment where you where it. it it seeps in uh, on my end, but Sam is very, very good at not letting that happen. I will say, but sometimes I'll get stuck on an idea that doesn't necessarily serve the song. You know, that's so true. Like, so, For like, if I'm us. like, well, no, this isn't. We set we set these rules, and we said it was only going to be like this, so we can't do that. And then it's like, oh, but the song really wants to be that. You know, it's it's really hard to find that line. It's yeah, like, that's where break your own rules. Yeah, yeah that's where exactly. a producer can be. Because you know, really I, I think there's probably something to be said for having really strict parameters, and I think some really amazing records have been made that way. And it's something I've always been keen to try, but it just never works out that way because <laughs> <laughs> because it's just too difficult. Honestly, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah. It really, yeah. We mentioned the first, I guess it's not another, but we mentioned intro earlier on, and you also have Deficient of Wonder on the album, which is the sole interlude, the only other interlude, I believe. How, what, what did that, what role did that play in this album? Why bring in another kind of instrumental interlude there? I was just saying, Matt was, was reading this book that he kept telling me about, and um, it was called Fantasyland, uh, which I've bread last year um but it's really interesting it's kind of like not to get i don't want to sound really boring now but it's okay this has been me like every day it's it's just about like it's called how america went haywire but it's it's more about the the origins of the almost like conspiracy theories really Mm -hmm. and false truths yeah false truths and myths that basically are what built of what what made american society the way it is now and everything that led up to it and it was just matt wrote like a weird little poem based on it basically and didn't know what to do with it and i was like let's just make a weird ambient noise track and have your nephew say this it was kind of a lockdown project it was it it? was yeah it was it was and that send it to my nephew it's like at the time he was like seven or eight and yeah we had him read it and it fit beautifully and i i think we we it was it was cool to manipulate the voice too because it it kind of felt like my younger self talking to my older self again playing with that nostalgia 
in in the timeline of the record. And also, I I think Sam and I were keen to have something that brought us into the second part of the record. I mean, we I love when there's moments in the record where you could just take a, a breath and kind of reflect on what just happened and and that we just felt like we needed that kind of moment on the record and it fit the theme obviously following on from the title of that one too what would you say brings the greatest sense of wonder into your life at the moment music really honestly i mean it's just that every day you show up and there's something to discover there's something beautiful and magical about it um and honestly just i mean this is kind of cheesy but it's I think just being able to get back in a room with the guys and and feel like we're back doing this thing that we love and we didn't sit at home, you know, during the pandemic and come out of it and go, I don't know, we don't really want to go back out and do this thing again, you know, because honestly, we, that could have very well happened. I mean, we all could have gotten really comfortable sitting at home and figuring out music in other ways. And instead, it's like, the sum of its parts. I mean, this is a really important um, part of all of our lives and it, and it's, and it's super, it's actually been really emotional recently getting together and doing it. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. Apart from, I wonder what's going to happen next week because (laughs) everything keeps to just change on a dime now. Yeah. Like, I wonder if we'll actually go on tour. I know. Let's find out. (laughs) Let's find out. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 